Good morning. My name is Brian Fry. Uh, I'm campus minister with RUF here at Boise State and uh, church planter for Boise Prez, um, All Saints Daughter Church. We're going to be uh, looking at Psalm 22 this morning. <clears throat> you can open your Bible there. It's also in your bulletin. It's a long passage, and yes, we're going to read the whole thing because I think it's worthwhile. Uh, John Calvin referred to the Psalms as an anatomy of all parts of the soul. Uh, there is really no emotion, no experience, no uh, feeling that human beings come across in life, throughout life, in this fallen, broken, painful world that is not somewhere expressed and dealt with in the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms are the, they have been the hymn book, the prayer book of God's people for thousands and thousands of years. Um, and I've a lot of people love the Psalms. If you've been around the church much at all, you will hear them referenced a lot. If you read Jesus' own stories uh, in the gospel accounts, he references the Psalms a lot. A lot of you love the Psalms. They show us, by example, what it looks like to relate with God. Uh, they, show, they give words to, the, to faith, really. They show us, they let us listen in to what faith sounds like and what living with God looks like practically. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the very fact that we have the Psalms, we have 150 Psalms, these prayers that have been given to us and preserved throughout the generations, the very fact that God sees it as important that we have these prayers assumes and, and, and expects us to struggle with faith. It's almost like he expects us to struggle to find words for the things that we need to pray and the things that we need to express. And he gives us the Psalms and he says, pray this, sing this to me. This morning, Psalm 22 uh, is especially appropriate as we begin Holy Week as this is Palm Sunday, and as we look ahead to Good Friday and Easter Sunday, this is especially appropriate because this is the psalm that Jesus quotes when he's hanging on the cross. Jesus yells out the words of the first line of this psalm as he's hanging on the cross. Just let that sink in before we read it. This psalm is what was on Jesus' mind as he carried the weight and the burden, the guilt, the condemnation of our sin and of the, of the fall of everything that's broken in this world. This is what was on his mind. So let me read this for us. It's a long passage. Pay attention. If you zone out for the rest of the sermon, that is fine. Pay attention to this, please, because this is God's word. Uh, to the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David, that's the heading at the top. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. 
Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. Told of the Lord, excuse me, to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Let me pray for us before we take a look at this. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give it to us for our good, that you intend to use it in our lives. And we ask that you would do that for us this morning. We need your help to understand your word. We need uh, your guidance to apply it to our lives. And we ask that you would do that for us this morning by your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know that, uh, the feeling that you get when you hear your own voice, like on a recording, I'm not referencing what I'm doing right now. I'm, it's uncomfortable, right, hearing your own, if you've ever listened to a voicemail that you've left. I remember as a kid playing around with a tape recorder that my family had just because I was like, I want to hear what exactly I sound like. And inevitably, when you hear your own voice, you say, like, really? <laughs> that can't be what I actually sound like. Um, and I remember so distinctly, I, I must have been 12 or 13, playing around with that tape recorder, and I talked, I even sang, that was embarrassing, and then 
I remember listening to the recording and I said, that doesn't sound like me. That sounds like my older brother. <coughs> I have an older brother. Um, and that was the moment when I found out that I sound a lot like my older brother. My, our voices sound very, very similar. Um, one of the, I start that way because one of the things that makes the Psalms hard for us is these are prayers and we read them and we think, that doesn't sound like me at all. That is not how I pray. That doesn't sound like my life experiences. And maybe especially a psalm like this one. Um, If Jesus quotes this psalm while he is dying, then how are we supposed to read this? Um, Is is this our prayer or is it Jesus' prayer? Does this put words to our experiences as we suffer um, as we ache for redemption, or does it put words to Jesus' experience as he hangs on the cross? Which one is it? Because we read this and we're like, that doesn't really sound like me. Uh, the answer is yes. It is our, our prayer and it is Jesus' prayer. It doesn't sound like us. It sounds a whole lot like our older brother, Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Uh, this, this psalm does give word to our own experiences. It also obviously gives words to Jesus' experience. So, so as we unpack this psalm, I want to focus in on the window that this gives us into the heart of Jesus as he hangs on the cross. Uh, we'll, look, we'll look at the agony of the cross. We'll see the victory of the cross. But it's also important that as we look at those two things, we see that this is also for us. Uh, This can be, ought to be, our own prayer as well. So first, the agony here. I hope that you heard it as as we read. I hope there's a deep sense of agony that the psalmist expresses here. Did you notice the whole, most of the psalm, the first 21 verses, David, who's writing this, kind of bounces back and forth between what he sees right in front of his face, his own experiences, and what he knows to be true about God. He says, here's what I see, and here's what I know about you. Because um, the two just don't really seem to line up at all. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You're so far from saving me. God, I cry to you, but you don't answer me. And then verse 3 says, but you're holy. And you're enthroned on our praises. And you've rescued all these past generations of our people. And yet, I'm despised. And he bounces back and forth. He says, here's my life and here's you. And the two just don't line up. I'm forsaken. I am alone. I am in danger. I am restless. But you are holy. And you are a deliverer. And I know that. And you are trustworthy. I am scorned and I'm being mocked. but, But you know me. And you care for me. You have cared for me since the day I was born, he says. He even expresses like, I'm on the brink of death. I can't go on. I have zero strength left whatsoever. But also I know that you're near. And I know that you're a rescuer. Doesn't line up. Have you been there? I've been there. It's a familiar experience for a lot of us. Your mind bounces back and forth, almost out of control feeling between what you see in front of your face and what you know deep in your soul is true. It's just really hard to believe sometimes, given what's in front of you. We, we, we hurt, and sometimes there's no end in sight to that pain, but we somehow also know that God cares for us. Uh, we are anxious, and yet we know that God's in control. We are lonely, and yet we know that he is near and personal. 
Uh, we, we ache and are weighed down under the burden, uh, that, that, uh, all sorts of burdens that are just way too heavy for us to bear. And we know, though, that God is doing something. It just doesn't make sense to us. That's the place where this psalm is being sung from. And it's a place, honestly, it's very familiar to a lot of us. It's a place where some of you are right now. And it's important to point out that this is not the cry of a lack of faith. This is not what lack of faith sounds like. This is not the cry either of a broken relationship with God. This is the cry of disorientation. Things don't look familiar I've lost the sense of God's presence and the sense of his protection and the sense of his nearness and care. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm just saying I don't see it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a a prayer that puts words to some of the dark moments, right? And those, honestly, are moments where we need words. Words do not come easily. For some of us, we have a lot of those moments. This is a prayer that puts some words to those. This zooms in on the valley of the shadow of death, basically. It's so helpful to know (coughs) that this is not the cry of a lack of faith. It is a cry of disorientation. It is not the cry of a broken relationship. It is the cry of needing to know God's presence. This gives us words for those moments. And I, lo- I love it. This, the fact that we have this psalm means that God knows that we will struggle with words, to find words to pray to him at times, especially in those moments of disorientation, those dark moments. And he gives us this and he says, sing this to me. Let me give you these words. It is our prayer. It is our psalm. At the same time, though, hopefully, as we read it, you, you heard, you can't help but hear Jesus singing this psalm. Uh, when he cries out with the words of verse 1 on the cross, I, it's safe, I think, to assume that he has the entire psalm in mind. He only says the first verse, but this is the psalm that was in his mind. Which, if nothing else, initial application here. If Jesus needed scripture, if Jesus needed this in his back pocket for those moments when everything seems so dark, how do we think we're going to make it without scripture in our back pocket? And why do we think that we need to be able to come up with our own words for those moments? We don't. We have tons of them right here. Things get disorienting. If they were disorienting for Jesus... And he needed scripture in those moments. We ought to make use of it as well. But I would love to know what David had in mind as he wrote this. A lot of scholars have agreed. All of the scholars that I looked at agree that this is language of a criminal execution. We know a lot about David's life. There is more ink spilled on David in scripture than any other character. We know more about him than anybody else. And... There is nothing in his entire story that seems to line up with what's described here in uh, Psalm 22. He's had, he had a lot of dark moments. He was in serious danger a lot, but he was never the victim of a criminal execution. 
You can't, you can't not hear Jesus' crucifixion here. Look at this. He's being mocked, right? He's, he's being despised by people around him. They yell to him, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. He says, uh, you took me from my mother's womb. I was entrusted to you from my birth. And now he's surrounded by people who are ready to kill him. He says, my tongue sticks to my mouth. I'm desperately thirsty. What does Jesus say on the cross? He said, you can find it in John uh, chapter 19. He says, I thirst. And John even explicitly says, he said this to fulfill the scripture. They have pierced my hands and feet. I don't know what they could be refer, what David could be, have in mind here. Crucifixion hadn't even been invented yet when David wrote this. The execution by crucifixion would be invented about 400 years after David wrote this. I, I don't know what you do with scripture and prophecy. You've got to do something with this, okay? We don't know what David had in mind, if not the crucifixion. They cast lots for my clothing, right? It's fascinating, okay? So first of all, it's just fascinating. We can look at Psalm 22 and say, wow, this is unbelievable. Who knows what David had in mind? I wonder if David even knew what he had in mind. But what does it actually teach us about the cross? The the fact that this psalm is what came to Jesus' mind as he hung on the cross gives us a window into his heart at that moment. It gives us a window into the agony and, and the horror that he was experiencing, not just physically, but as he bore our sin, as he took our sin on himself. We need to look at that. We need to look at the agony involved in the cross. We, it is so easy for us to sanitize the cross, to become desensitized to the realness and the darkness and the agony of what was involved as Christ took our sin on himself, and took it to the cross. We cannot sanitize that. I, th- I don't know if you've thought about who it is that we culturally, naturally hold up as heroes. Look at, look at Hollywood heroes. Look at who it is that are heroes in our movies. They are so often fearless and strong, and they might have like a slight vulnerability, but the fact is they are pretty much impenetrable, and they will walk into the most dangerous situations without an ounce of fear. Right? Those are, those are, that's our picture of heroes. And you can even think, of, we can think of Christian brothers and sisters who have faced death courageously. Christian brothers and sisters who have faced the most frightening situations with courage. We have stories of martyrdom. We have stories of people who have personally faced death, who have faced all sorts of tragedies. That's in this room, just in this room. And the reason that they can face death without fear is because they knew that they were going to be with their father. They knew that they were going to fall asleep and wake up in their arms of the father. But that is not the picture that we get of Jesus here. He does not go to the cross fearlessly and looking strong. He goes weeping and in anguish. He is completely undone. Why? Because as Jesus faced death, 
He knew that he did not have the promise and comfort and assurance of a father who was waiting to receive him with open arms. His father was not waiting for him with open arms. His father was waiting for him with a sword. The heroic thing about Jesus' death is not that he did it boldly. It's not that he did it fearlessly. He did it trembling and he did it weeping because he knew exactly what he was doing. And he loved us enough to do it anyway. Uh, He was arrested. He bore the insult of being falsely accused. He bore the loneliness of being abandoned by his friends. He bore the shame of being stripped naked and laughed at and mocked. He He was three times declared innocent. Not once, not twice. Three times declared innocent and then sentenced to die. And that's not the worst of it. The worst of it was that as he hung on the cross, in that moment when he was being most obedient, when he was doing something simply because God told him to do it, and he was acting out of absolute love and absolute obedience, God struck him for it. And he punished him because our sin was on him. And he lost fellowship with his father. So he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer is because our sin is on him. We need this psalm because we need to take a long and hard look at the heart of Jesus as he bore our sin. We we need to do that because we're going to struggle to love him if we don't consider what he was willing to do because of his love for us, we need to take a long and hard and honest look at the heart of Christ also because we cannot see and hear Christ's heart and walk away thinking our sin's not a big deal. If you, if you find yourself, not if, when you find yourself doubting whether your sin's a big deal, look at where it goes. Look at, what it, look at where it leads. Leads to the cross. We catch, look, we catch like little tiny glimpses of what our sin does day in and day out. We see the way we hurt other people, and we don't like that. Um, we see the way that the people that we love bear the, bear the brunt of our impatience and our anger and our irritability and all of that. Uh, we feel the isolation and the emptiness that sin brings to our life. We feel um, the way that our dysfunctions in our own hearts sort of flow out into other people and into our relationships. Um, We do feel it a little bit, but whatever weight and burden and pain that we feel, that is a small fraction of what Christ bore, what he endured on Good Friday. He bore all of it. Uh, some, some of you know what it is like to weep over your sin. So does Jesus. Okay? If you don't think that sin's a big deal, take a look at the cross. Because that's what your sin does. Okay? That's what our sin does. And it's not just our sin that he took on himself. It's actually the, the in, entire fall. It was the, the guilt, the misery, every piece of of all of the mess that Adam's first sin brought to this world, he took on his shoulders and he endured it out of love. 
we should move on. There's because there's more to this, and it really is amazing. If if this psalm was in Jesus's mind as he hung on the cross, then we we actually know that he had more in mind than just the agony that he was facing. He wasn't just enduring suffering, and because that's not all this psalm talks about. This psalm points us beyond the cross to its purpose, towards its goal. We get hints of Easter Sunday coming right here in Psalm 22. The victory of the cross. Where do we see the victory of the cross here? This is what Jesus was longing for. Uh, Everything really turns in an instant at the end of verse 21. He says, you have rescued me. That's actually the last word of, of the verse. It says, from the horns of the wild oxen, you have rescued me. That's where it turns. This is a it's a picture of resurrection. We'll cut to the chase. This is a picture of resurrection. We know that Jesus knew he would rise from the dead. Uh, we, we know that Jesus knew that the cross wasn't the end of the story because he told his disciples over and over and over again. He's like, look, I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to rise again. And they didn't get it. But he knew. We trust that he got it. But it wasn't just that he knew he would rise again. It wasn't just that he knew that this ordeal would be over for his own sake. Look at what he looks forward to. Look at what Christ's heart longs for with anticipation, even as he hangs on the cross. Verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All of you offspring of Israel, worship, praise, celebration. That's what he has in mind. He's hanging on the cross and he says, this is going to end with celebration. We're going to have a party. And it's not just Israel, too. Look at verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Here's the point. Uh, Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, because Jesus hung on the cross and bore our sin, God is flinging open wide the doors, and he is calling everybody in. And that was in Jesus' mind as he hung on the cross. He says, my father's bringing everybody in. The ends of the earth, the afflicted, those who are crying out, those who are hungry, those who haven't even been born yet, this is for them. Do you see that in verse, verse 31? They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That's us, by the way. I I wasn't born yet. I don't think any of you were either. Uh, It is not inappropriate to say that Jesus had you in mind as he hung on the cross. He was looking forward to the peoples that were yet unborn who, who, who would proclaim the salvation of God. How's this victory possible? How could, how could this ever be, be applied to us? If you've never asked that question, you ought to ask that question. How does what Jesus did on the cross come to be uh, profitable, valuable, uh, applicable to us? Verse 24, He, God, has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. 
and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cries to him. In other words, God has accepted Jesus' sacrifice on your behalf. And therefore, the victory that was won on the cross is applied to us. It's ours because we are united to him. The king has come. He has conquered. He has suffered for us. He has risen victorious. And he says, there with me. I love where this psalm uh, ends, the very last line. All right, they will proclaim, they will come and proclaim what? That he has done it. He has done it. What does that remind you of? What does Jesus say right before he takes his last breath on the cross? It is finished. He has done it. Who has done it? He's done it. What did we do? We were the people yet unborn who received this good news, who got told that he has done it. All we bring to this is the sin that he bore on the cross. We bring our need. We bring our empty-handedness. He has done it. That's grace. Just in closing, what... Consider the fact that Jesus embraces the cross for you. What does that tell us about his heart? What, is, what do we learn about the heart of Jesus Christ towards you in reading this psalm? What does that show us for these moments of disorientation that we feel? Even as this psalm gives words to our own prayer. What do we see about Jesus' heart? We see a lot of things. At least one thing for you to wrestle with. Jesus has compassion for you. He's not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he's not hidden his face from him. Jesus knows firsthand the misery of our sin. Jesus knows firsthand the discomfort of our temptation, the weight of guilt. The agony of shame, the painfulness of life in this world. He knows it firsthand. He knows what it feels like to wear everything that would cause God the Father to turn his face from us. He has compassion on us. There, look, there's so much here. I... You probably ought to get this sense with any passage of Scripture, but especially with this one, there's just this weight of, we're treading on holy ground here. If this is what Jesus' heart and mind was thinking about as he hung on the cross, I don't know how we begin to do justice to this, but maybe the best way to close is just this. It's worth thinking about as we step into Holy Week. Do you love him? If this is what the experience of the cross was like for him. Do you love him? Do you love him for that? Some of you aren't Christians, or maybe you're not sure. I would love for you to just understand that the reason that we celebrate Palm Sunday, the reason we recognize Good Friday, and that we really party 
on Easter Sunday, it's not just a neat little history lesson about some stuff that happened in the past with this guy from Nazareth. It's because we love him. We do this because we love him. Because he, out of sheer love and compassion, has taken the weight and the burden and the penalty for our sin, and he won. And we love him for it. And that's why we do this. And it's available to you too. And it's free. Because he has done it. We would love for you to think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, we do love you for what you have done for us. Uh, We are helpless without you. And we come empty-handed. Thank you, Jesus, for enduring the cross for the joy that was set before you. Thank you for your determination to win a people for yourself and to carry us through to glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.